It is an interesting time that we live in, an interesting events that are going on in the world. You know, we had the whole gas shortage in the southeast that people freaked out, and it, it seems like common sense goes out the window the little that we have when, oh, my goodness, we're not going to have gas. And they all freaked out, but, you know, if they would have been fine, it would have never had a shortage if they wouldn't have went and done a whole bunch of weird things. Then you got the events in Israel between Palestine and Israel and Hamas and Israelites and them doing all that. And it makes you wonder about end times. It makes you wonder about things that are going on. And that's actually quite good because I'm going to be talking a little bit about end time events today. It just happens that we've been going through the book of Matthew. And in this book, we're at the right chapter for it. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be doing the first 14 verses. But right after what we talk about today is literally prophecy of the end times and what's going on. So it makes it a really good intro that we have all these events in the world that, you know, just cause us to think. But my first question to you is, how many of you wish that you could tell the future, that you know what was going to happen in the future? Anybody? I mean, I don't know about you, Joe, being in the financial business, but wouldn't it be awesome if you knew what stock was going to blow up in the next 10 years? No? <laughs> He's like, nope, not going to be good. Okay. Well, if, if you could tell the future, it would be a good way of getting rich. It would be a good way of, of getting those stocks if you knew Dogecoin. I don't know if how many people follow Dogecoin, the dumbest thing in the world. But Dogecoin could blow up past 40 cents and go to $500. You never know, right? Maybe you knew if someone in your family was going to have an accident or something, and you could stop it from happening. But while that would be good, sometimes it could be bad, too. Because some people would start to believe that the things that you tried to stop and maybe couldn't were because of what you did. They'd start blaming everything on you. Hey, Daniel, you said that my wife was going to leave me and it happened. It's all your fault, right? Or whatever it might be. And so that leads me into what I've got a story here for you today. And this is a fictitious story. It's not true, all right? Mushi, a medieval Jewish prophet, prophesied that the favorite the king's favorite horse would die soon. Sure enough, the horse died a short time later. The king was outraged at the prophet, certain that his prophecy had caused his favorite horse to die. So he summoned Mushi to him and commanded him, Prophet, tell me when you will die. Mushi realized that the king was planning to kill him immediately, no matter what answer he gave, so he had to answer carefully. I don't know when I'm going to die, the prophet answered. But I do know that whenever I die, the king will die three days later. So he was covering his bases because he knows that if the king was going to kill him, he was trying to scare him into not doing that, right? But prophecy, what we're going to talk about, is always a dicey look at things to come. I know that the adult Bible study in the, in the fellowship hall is going through the book of Revelations, and they've been going through it for how many years now? Two? Three? Fifteen? Six? Six? Al says six. That's close. Who knows? But when you read Revelations, some of that stuff in there we can understand. Some of it you can correlate 12 lampstands, 12 tribes of Israel, whatever that might be, right? But there's a lot of things in there that we have no idea what they're going to mean. There's a lot of things in the end of the book of Daniel where it talks about beasts with eyes all over their body. It's weird. Just read it, the end of Daniel. Some of that's come true because of King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, and it's split into a whole bunch of other kingdoms, right? 
But there's some of that we don't know anything about. So when we look at prophecy, it's always hard to try to see what we can learn because we really don't know what prophecy means. Because it could mean one thing to us, but yet it could mean a bunch of other things to other people. Right? There's a lot of prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled. You read the book of Isaiah, the prophecies about Jesus, how he was going to be crucified, how he was going to take our sins upon him. Those things have been fulfilled. The prophecy we're going to read later today where the temple, Jesus claims that the temple is going to be destroyed, was literally fulfilled within 40 years. But there's other prophecies we have no idea what they're going to do. And so people have been arguing over these things over and over and over again. People have been writing books about them. People have been getting cults together about end-time prophecies. So this morning, I just want to kind of clear up a little bit, if I can, about what we as Christians should focus on during those end-time things and when we're reading the end-time prophecies. So we've been going through the book of Matthew. It's been a few months since we've actually started this. I have no idea what episode we're on. It could be episode 40. It could be episode 58. But we've done a whole bunch of sermons on the book of Matthew, right? And so a little bit of a recap here about what Matthew's all about. Matthew was written by Matthew. Self-explanatory. Likely between somewhere between 60 and 65 A.D., we know this because the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and there's no mention of that in the book of Matthew. Matthew wrote mainly to a Jewish audience. He was just trying to get fellow Jews to believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. There's more references to the Old Testament in Matthew than any other New Testament book. There's over 50 direct references and a bunch of other indirect references where Matthew points back to the Old Testament and says, Jesus is the Messiah. This is what was prophesied about here and is happening here, right? So we can draw, draw the conclusion that he was talking to people who knew the Old Testament well, which was the Jews. So Matthew wrote his account of Jesus' ministry to show that Jesus, who Jesus was, and in, he is indeed the king, Israel's long-awaited Messiah. That's the whole point of Matthew. So now you've kind of got the background. We can understand what the people were thinking when they would have read this, right? So let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. And it says this. Jesus left the temple, and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to his buildings. Right before these verses, Jesus literally laid some ultimate blame game on the Pharisees. He roasted them in every possible way imaginable in in chapter 23. So he's leaving, probably because they're mad at him, right? And the the disciples call their attention, his attention to the buildings, to the temple. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, When will this happen, and what will be the sign of the coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but you see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will be 
and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can be here. God, that this nation is still free enough that we can hear your word and we can learn about it and we can apply it to our hearts and to our lives. So, Lord, speak to us. Speak through your word to each and every heart here today. We just thank you for that, Lord. In your name, amen. So I just want you to think about this story. I want you to imagine with me. The temple was like the number one building in the eyes of the Jews at that time, right? The temple is where their life revolved around. They had to go there each year to make sacrifices. They knew that the temple was the holy place where the high priest could experience God's presence once a year, right? That's where they wanted to be. And Jesus had just got done speaking, roasting the the, uh, Pharisees, roasting the teachers of the law, and he's walking out. And the word that's used here is he's leaving and not coming back. Jesus was done teaching in the temple after this. He'd never go back except for when he was presented before the Sanhedrin when he was crucified. He would not teach again. So he was leaving. And as they're leaving, his disciples were like, man, Jesus, look at these buildings. Look at the temple. It looks amazing. You see, King Herod had started building the temple again. King Herod the Great had started building the temple again years before this. And it was becoming awesome. And it would continue to be built, continue to be made awesome again until it was destroyed, right? So the disciples like, man, Jesus, look at the temple. Look at all these buildings. It's so awesome. And you can just imagine they look over at Jesus, and instead of seeing Jesus super excited, Jesus has just got this look on his face, this pensive look. And then all of a sudden he just looks up, kind of just glances really nonchalantly, and he's like, hmm, you see all these buildings and everything here? A day's coming soon where this is all going to be destroyed. Everything will be destroyed so far that there won't be a stone left on another stone. And you know what? That came true. That came true when the Romans besieged Rome or besieged Jerusalem. You see, the Jewish had this uprising, and the Romans surrounded them, and they were all fighting each other, and the Romans ended up sacking Jerusalem. And a fire was started because the Roman soldiers hated the Jews so much that they decided to burn down the temple. And there was a whole gathering of gold and silver and everything they had piled inside the temple. And it all melted and seeped down into the flagstone, seeped down into the ground between the cracks of the stones. So Roman soldiers literally took pry bars and tore apart what was left so they could get at that gold. So Jesus here prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, and it was in 70 A.D., shortly after he was put to death. So this is one prophecy where we see, hey, this happened, right? So this kind of, you got to imagine, this kind of shocked the the disciples. Our temple is going to be destroyed? What? This is the building of the Jews. Come on, God, we can't destroy that. Jesus, what's wrong with you? Right? And so they walk, and they go up to the Mount of Olives, which isn't very far away. And they ask privately, they ask Jesus, Jesus, when are these things going to come to pass? When is the end of the age coming? When are you coming again? And you got to imagine that they didn't really like what Jesus had to say because he just kept going on about prophecy, kept going on about end times. 
And actually past verse 14 talks about a whole bunch of in-time events that we don't really know about, right? Jesus was in a mood. you got to imagine be like, all right, don't talk to Jesus today. Jesus is in a bad mood. He's got some bad stuff going on, right? But he describes what's going to happen. He describes what the end times were going to be like. And so for us, with all this prophecy, everything that's going on, the question becomes, what can we learn from it? What is something that we can take home? And the first thing is, is that end times events should not be our sole focus. End times events should not be our sole focus. There's so many people out there who base their whole Christian belief on the fact that Jesus is coming soon, which he is. But they throw everything into it, and they're trying to figure out what's going to happen. They're trying to figure out what prophecy means, and that doesn't really matter. I mean, it does. We need to learn about revelations. We need to go through it. But our whole Christian walk shouldn't be a focus on revelation, shouldn't be a focus on what's going to happen. It should be a focus on our relationship with Christ in this moment right now. And so Jesus tells us we shouldn't be alarmed by events in the world. Verse 6 says, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. Jesus is like, guys, this is going to happen whether you want it to happen or not. Don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. And he says these are just the birth pains, the beginning of the birth pains. I'm not a lady. I mean, I don't even look like a lady, right? So I don't know what birth pains are like. But I know at the beginning of the birth pains, I've had my wife's had two kids, right? They start out small. I mean, they're painful. They start out small and infrequent, but they work themselves up to, hey, we got to go to the hospital right now because things are happening. And so that's what Jesus is saying. The wars, the rumors of the wars, the persecution, the famines, all of this is the beginning of the birth pains. It's not even the main event. And he's saying, don't be alarmed. Don't freak out because these things have to happen. We're told not to be alarmed. The KJV says, don't be troubled. The message says, don't panic. There's a lot of people out there who they read the Bible, they read books and all this sort of stuff, and they spaz out about the end time. They freak out, and they're like, oh, my goodness, all these things are happening right now. There's famines, and there's, and there's wars and rumors of wars, so what am I going to do? Don't be alarmed. That's what you need to do. Don't be alarmed. Right? There's people who have been anxious, angry, troubled by things going on in the world that they have no control over. And they let it consume them, control them, and shape their decisions. And that's wrong. I mean, we talked about the fuel crisis. Normally sane people went to the pump and put fuel in garbage bags. Or plastic totes. And their whole car was full of gas. And that shortage is always is already easing itself right now. I think it was a week. Oh, we're not going to have gas for a week. The end. The world's going to end, right? That's what they were thinking. Normally, sane people did dumb things because of what was going on. God tells us not to do that. God tells us these things are going to happen, and we're not supposed to be alarmed, right? Those of us who follow Christ don't have to freak out. Because the word that we just read says those who stand firm to the end will be saved, right? And so if we shouldn't be alarmed by events in the world, we should be more concerned about a relationship with Jesus. People are so consumed by what the future holds that they neglect what a true relationship with Jesus is. They neglect 
spending time with God. They neglect reading the word and prayer and shutting their mouth and letting God speak to them. They neglect those things, right? Instead of focusing on things that we can't control, we should focus on things we can control. Guys, no matter how much knowledge you have about the end time events, no matter how much you're prepared for the end time events, they're still going to come no matter what you do. So instead of worrying about those things, let's worry about the thing that we can change, the thing that we can make better, the thing that we can affect, which is our relationship with Christ. When our relationship with Christ is where it should be, the events of the world don't seem as dark. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to be concerned. I'm not saying that when we have a relationship with Christ, we just kind of float off and everything's nice and beautiful and peaches and roses. But I'm saying that we understand that Jesus has got our backs. That in the midst of all the struggle going on in the world, in the midst of all the pain that's going on in the world, Jesus has got our backs. And we understand that. We're like, all right, gas shortage, cool. It's like Pastor Rex. If you've gone on a mission ship with him, he always says, he's got this saying, there's going to be things that don't go the way they're supposed to, so go with the flow. Right? You just go with the flow. When we have our relationship with Jesus where it's supposed to be, and these things in the world just seem so big We can just go with the flow and say, God, you've got this. God, you've got a plan. In the midst of all the darkness out there, God, at least in here in my heart, I know you're in control. So we shouldn't be concerned about end-time events, not at least alarmed in that point. We should be more focused on our relationship with Jesus, but we also need to stand firm. We need to stand firm. And the picture I get with standing firm so I don't know how many of you guys have read The Battle of Thermopylae or, or 300 is the movie, which I don't recommend watching, right? But it's 300 Spartan soldiers standing against a million. And they stood firm for three days to buy enough time for their country to mobilize. That's my, when I see stand firm in the Bible, that's like my go-to vision of 300 guys filling a narrow gap, standing firm and guarding the people behind them doing everything they can, giving their life. And they held them off for three days. All right. It'd be like taking, how much does Overton have? 600 people? Okay. Half of Overton and putting it up against Denver. Be like, all right, you guys, you got to hold this gap against Denver. All right. Have fun. So that's my version of stand firm. And Jesus tells us to stand firm. And there's a few different things he tells us to stand firm against. And the first one is, is we need to stand firm Against false teachings. Jesus says that there's going to be people who try to deceive us, claiming to be Christ. There's going to be false prophets and teachers who lead people astray. I don't know about you, you watch the Christian channel and all the prosperity gospel on there, right? False teachings, stand firm against those things. Now, I'm not saying that everybody on the Christian channel is bad, all right? There are some on there that just preach to get themselves wealthy. That's false teaching. Right? You think about uh, the people like Jim Jones, the cult leader who led his people to not only try to murder someone, but also fed them arsenic layered flavor aid and murdered hundreds of people because they believed that he was a prophet. They believed that he spoke for God and he led them into destruction. You think of the books 87 Reasons Jesus is Coming in 87, right? 1987, or 88 Reasons It's Coming in 88. There's so many books out there about end times saying they have all the proof. And I've read some of them, and it's just like, 
you guys are nuts. I have no idea what you're going off of. So we need to stand firm against false teachers. Westboro Baptist Church, preaching that soldiers who die are God's judgment on our nations. I don't know about you, but I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Those guys are weird, all right? If you go to Westboro Baptist Church, I think it's somewhere in Kansas, they're weird, all right? Sound good? All right. So we stand firm against false teachers by examining Scripture. We stand firm against false teachers by examining Scripture. Guys, when you know Scripture, when it's in your heart and someone starts speaking about something, and you're like, that doesn't sound right. I'm pretty sure my Bible says something else, right? Check this verse out in Acts 17, verse 11. I think I put 22 on the screen. I think it's 17, verse 11. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Paul was preaching to Berea, right? He was preaching to the people there, and instead of just being like, Oh, my goodness, this is like sent from heaven. It's the best thing ever. They went home. They read what they knew, the Old Testament scriptures, and they're like, yes, what Paul says is true based upon that. Guys, when we hear teachings, when we know things and we're seeing what people are talking about, we can go home and say, all right, this is what he said. This is what the word says. They either line up or they don't line up. And they'd be like, okay, false teaching or good teaching. If we're like the Bereans, we can go home and we can dive into our word, dive into God's word, and figure those things out. It's as simple as that. If someone says something that doesn't match up with the Bible, it's probably wrong. If someone says something that's not in the Bible, it's probably wrong, right? Because there's a lot of people out there who like to add things to the Bible that aren't really in there. So we need to stand firm against false teaching, and we need to guard our hearts against it. The second thing we can do is stand firm against persecution. This used to be not such a big deal in America, but it's becoming more and more of a big deal. More and more now, believing what the Bible says is considered hate speech. It's considered wrong. And that's, it's just rough. Jesus said that we will be persecuted and that many will fall away in the verses we read. This world, this nation is becoming a post-Christian nation. Fifty years ago, you would have never thought that America would be almost considered a post-Christian nation because everybody went to church, everybody read their Bibles, not everybody, but majority of people, right? And now it's almost a post-Christian church. I have kids and youth who don't even know what David and Goliath is. And that's a secular, like, comparison. People, like, in sports, this is David versus Goliath, the big versus the small, right? But people don't even know what that is. We're becoming a post-Christian nation, and because of that, we're being persecuted as Christians for what we believe. Now, there's countries in this world where truly are persecuted that just saying you're a Christian costs you your life. But you know what? We've never been guaranteed that we would have an easy time of life if we're Christians. Being a Christian never guarantees the fact that everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns. Jesus actually specifically states different. John 16, 32 and 33 says this. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Here's the next line that's so important. In this world, 
you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus was telling his disciples, there's going to come a time that you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have things pushed against you because you believe in me. And for no other reason. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So persecution is almost guaranteed because we believe in Christ. Because of the foundations that we try to base our life on. Right? So we overcome persecution by keeping our eyes fixed on the goal. Jesus overcame the world. Jesus overcame sin. Jesus overcame death. He went through everything that we've gone through. The Bible tells us that we have a high priest, Jesus, who's gone through everything that we've gone through so that we can have peace in him knowing that he knows what's going on. But not only that, Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, when we keep our eyes fixed on the goal, we understand that this, this world is temporary. We understand that there's coming a day where we're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be peachy, right? So when we keep our eyes fixed on that fact that my relationship with Christ is right, I'm going to heaven. No matter what this world throws at me, it's all gravy. From this point on, I believe in Jesus and it's all gravy. Even if it's bad, even if I die... I know I'm going to heaven. So we, when we keep our eyes fixed on the goal, that's when we overcome persecution. And the last thing that we read in this scripture is we need to stand firm in our faith. Jesus said that the love of many will grow cold in the end times. The love of many will perish because of the persecution, because of the evilness, and just because people stop believing, right? Imagine with me. The picture of growing cold here is, is like a fire. If you have a fire built up, but you neglect to put logs on it continuously, eventually that fire just becomes embers and is no longer burning. But when as soon as you take a log and you put it on the fire, it keeps growing. You take another log and you put it on the fire, it keeps growing until eventually you have a bonfire. When our relationship with Christ is where it's supposed to be, we've been feeding that bonfire in our lives. We're saying, all right, God. I'm spending time with you today. That's another log on the fire. I'm reading your word today. That's another log on the fire. I'm obeying what you have told me to do. So we need to not let our faith grow cold. We stand firm in our faith by continuously building our relationship with Jesus. Just like any relationship you have, you have to put in the effort to get something out of it. You can't just be church pew Christians which means you can't just come to this building and sit in these pews and learn only on Sundays and Wednesdays or whenever day you hear, and don't have a relationship with them outside of these doors because that's not true relationship. That's just friendship. Uh, I know Jesus. Yeah, he's the guy that lives over there, right? I always use the story of Adrian and I of what it means to actually want to be in a relationship, right? When I first met Adrian in the summer of 2010, uh, she was a clown. She was a pretty good-looking clown, but that's just weird. All right? She was out at the camp. She was doing children's ministry. She was Chuckles the Clown. And we met the Sunday before or the Saturday before camp was supposed to go on because we were setting up the tabernacle. And her and her senior pastor and my dad and Faith Tyson were all together, setting up the tabernacle, and I came and helped, and we out, went out to eat. Well, from that point on, 
I'm sure she saw me. I was in my work clothes, which was like shorts and a cutoff shirt, and I was covered in grease and gas, and I probably smelled nasty. But something clicked between us, apparently, because we've been married 10 years, right? So what we did is we spent as much time over the next two weeks together as we could. She was at camp for two weeks, and Tim, Tim can attest, right? He, he was our kind of our chaperone at night. You see, I was not a camp guy when I was a kid. I, I just I went to camp, kids' camp like twice, and then I never went again. My parents knew that it was serious because I, every time that I would be in a place where I could be at home doing nothing, I was out at the camp with Adrian. And that was like till 2 a.m. some nights with Tim watching us like a hawk, be like, what are they doing? Actually, he was right next to us, so it wasn't too bad, right? I wanted to get to know her, so I spent time with her. I got to know her. We asked questions. We talked. The weekend, the first weekend, I went down and celebrated her birthday with her and her pastor down there, and we had a fun time. But that's what our relationship with Jesus needs to be like. Like the desire that we had to spend time together, the desire that we had to get to know each other better is what we need to have with Jesus. Jesus has that desire. He wants to know us. But we have to have that desire too, and we have to have the desire of knowing him. So when we build a relationship, it's not just saying, all right, Jesus, I accept you into my heart. Peace, right? It's God, I love you, and I want to know you more. God, I love you, and I desire what you have for my life. And you spend time reading his word because that's how he speaks to us. We spend time in prayer because that's how he speaks to us. And a relationship isn't just you talking. It's you being quiet and letting God talk to you too. So we stand firm in our faith by continuously building our relationship with him. We need to see Jesus as that special someone in our life that deserves our attention, that deserves our love, that deserves anything and everything that we can do for him. That's how we stand firm in our faith. So just like the disciples, we don't know what the future holds for us. Jesus was saying a whole bunch of events. Now, we know some of what was going to happen. We know the temple has been destroyed already. But the disciples were like, oh, my goodness, the temple is going to be destroyed. All these things are going to happen, God. They didn't know what was going on. And some of it, we don't know what's going to go on. But what we can do is we cannot focus mainly on those and we can build our relationship with Christ, standing, standing firm against false teaching, standing firm against persecution, and standing firm in our faith. Those are the things that we can learn from this scripture. When we read about end-time events, we have to understand that if we have our relationship with Christ intact and together, those things really don't matter. I mean, they do because things are going to happen. But we're like, all right, God, whatever comes, comes. So that's what we need to do. When you read Revelations, when you're going through Don's class and all these wonderful events are going on, you're like, dude, okay, there's one really, really, like, weird thing in Revelation where it says during the last battle or during the something that there's going to be blood up to the horse's brittle. I mean, that's, that's, like, huge, like, mouth high. That's a lot of blood. When you read that, you're like, what is this supposed to mean, right? So during that, you're like, Okay, don't focus on this, but focus on my relationship with Christ. Don't let end time things freak you out. So if I could have the worship team come up, and I know I'm playing the guitar, so I, I'll play when I get up here. But the question becomes, 
how do we respond? We know what we can learn, but how do we respond to God's message? Well, the first thing is here is maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ. You read the things in the Bible about what the end times are going to say, and they freak you out. Because God's saying that he's going to come back and there's going to be all this junk that's going on. What am I supposed to do? Well, if you have a relationship with Christ, you don't have to worry about those things. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, God, I've let my fire grow cold. My relationship with you isn't what it's supposed to be. I need to start putting logs back on that fire. Or maybe you are a Christian. You've been serving God faithfully, right? But you've focused more on end-time events. You're letting all these things that are happening in the world freak you out, saying, oh, my goodness, Israel's getting attacked. Is that a sign of the Old Testament or the, the end times? Is that a sign of God's coming? Could be, right? But you've been so focused on those that you've allowed your relationship with Christ to suffer. Or maybe you're here today and you're just saying, Pastor Kenny, I need to stand firm. In my workplace, there's a lot of persecution going on. There's a lot of things that shouldn't go on. I need to stand firm against persecution. Or there's a lot of things out there, people who are trying to pour into my life, and they're just telling me bad teaching, things that aren't necessarily true based upon the Bible, and I need to stand firm against that. Or maybe you're just saying, I just need to stand firm in my faith. I feel like I'm wavering. I feel like I'm heading off the path I should be on. And so as we respond, we can, in any one of those situations, we just say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, I want to stand firm. God, I want to go back to the way my fire used to be, where it was nice and blazing, and I had this relationship with you that was awesome. But right now it's not. We can go back to those things. So what I want to do is I want to say a prayer. And if anything of those things speaks to you, feel free to respond to God. If you need to, this, this altar will be open. We have a couple of songs that we're going to be doing. Even if you just have a need in your life that you need prayer for, I invite you to come up here. If someone's sick, if someone's going on, this is the time of our service that you can come up here and receive prayer for that. But if you want to respond to God's message, it's not a fancy prayer. It's not magic words or anything like that. It's you and your heart speaking to God's heart. That's it. So you get right with God, and that's what matters. So, Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I just thank you for the words that you've spoken to us through Matthew. God, we don't know what's going on in end times. We don't know what's going to happen at the end of everything, God, but you do. And, God, what we can focus on the most is our relationship with you, is standing firm in that relationship, knowing, God, that you have the perfect plan for our lives. So, God, there's people in this room who've let their fire grow cold. They've let their relationship with you kind of lapse into something that's just friendship, God. So, God, I just ask that you would build that back up, that they would continue to love you and continue to pour into that. There's people in this room who don't have a relationship with you, and I just ask that you would speak to them, God, and change their hearts. Let them say, God, you're Lord of my life, and I want what you want for my life. And, God, let them mean it. And then there's God, God, there's people here that are just standing against some really bad things. Whether it's persecution in their workplace, persecution at home from family members. God, whether they're sliding back and they're not standing firm in their faith. God, just build them up and help them to stand firm. Because God, even though we can stand in the gap, we can be pushed around. But God, if you stand in the gap for us and we stand behind you. God, you can truly hold back anything that we'll ever come up against. And so let us know that our strength doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from you. And so, Lord, as we sing these last few songs, 
I just ask that you would speak to people's hearts, that you would speak to them, Lord, and let them respond in your name, Lord. Amen. Would you stand with us again this morning? As Pastor Kenny said, these altars are open. If you need prayer, come up and somebody can pray with you. If you just want to come up and spend some time.